Good evening to you. Saturday night. Here we are again. I'm going to give you some uh, pith teachings tonight. You know, the Tibetans do this. They'll say, okay, it's the uh, 36 mind training slogans. You know, kind of boil down what practice is about and how to practice into these little bite-sized nuggets. So you get a lot of teachings, you know, many Dharma talks, and you get a lot of instructions. And you may still be wondering, what's going on? (laughs) You know, what am I supposed to be doing? What's it about? You know, what's the point of it? There, There should be a point, but it might not be quite clear. So here are some pith teachings, kind of the Cliff's Note uh, version of meditation practice. So the first thing is to understand the context. So the context for the practice here is the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path of the Buddha. And all the teachings that are offered here are expressions of this particular framework for understanding reality and working with it. A second point related to this is that it's true that Dharma is universal medicine, meaning that no matter what your difficulty or distress is, it will be helpful to you. However, even though it's helpful in many different kinds of ways and in many different kinds of levels, the Dharma is taught by the Buddha and as uh, expressed here is really aimed at helping you find through your own direct experience liberation from suffering. So all of the other uh, benefits that might be there for you, uh, stress reduction, Uh, improvements to your health, uh, emotional healing, psychological insight. Uh, All of these may be benefits, but they're not really what the practice is directly aimed at here. So they're very fortunate associative goods that can come forth. But they're not really directly spoken to in the instructions or in the teachings. So that's the context. Now the second piece is understanding your main task. (laughs) Insight practice. Okay, here it is. Within the framework, (laughs) listen carefully, of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, develop a mindful connection with your mind stream and maintain it. <laughs> all right? That is all. <laughs> Understanding arises and deepens organically if this happens. Is it that simple? Yes. 
Metapractice, your main task. Within the framework of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, develop an intention to offer loving kindness to specific individuals and groups using specific repetitive phrases connect with these individuals and groups and offer metta. Keep doing this with progressively more difficult individuals and groups. That is all. Metta strengthens and develops organically if this is done. Is it this simple? Yes. Now, about this point, probably something is not feeling right to you. Right? Because I've just said that it's simple. And it is simple. In fact, it's so simple, it's really hard to do. And there are reasons for that. And a way to say it is that in attempting to do this, we run across deeply conditioned and habituated patterns of mind, which are cross currents to our main task. And we're very often identified with these kinds of cross currents and or lost in them. And so what that means is that the mindful continuity is lost when these cross currents arise, unless we somehow bring them into our mindful continuity. Now, there are a lot of different techniques which can be offered to work with these individual hindrances and cross-currents. And that's a whole separate talk. Um, But I want to talk mostly about particular trade secrets, about how you can minimize and avoid some of this. Getting lost in these cross-currents. I'll start by using an equestrian uh, image for you. Um, Any uh, horse riding people here in the group? All right. There's a a kind of a phrase used in the equestrian world about uh, taking your seat and keeping your seat in relationship to riding horses. And basically what it means is, you know, there's you and there's the horse, and then there's the saddle, which is where you should be. (laughs) So in order to, you know, take our seat in terms of these main tasks to get ready to kind of like understand the basic thing, you know, the feet in the stirrups, the, you know, hands on the reins, there's some basic principles that are good to know. I'm going to tell you these secrets right now. Okay, the first thing is, rule number one, practice occurs only in the present tense. And some of the people that have come to to see me have heard this from me um, quite frequently. Okay, a memory or thought of the past is a present experience. A thought of the future is a present experience. An image of the future is a present time seeing or perhaps a present time fantasizing. 
What you are experiencing is actually now. It's always now. So, you know, recognizing that it's now, 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 now is very important because it's the only time that you need to relate to. Everything you experience arises in the now and it's all here. And it's experienced in sequence. Now, 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 now. Okay, that's principle number one. Principle number two is related to this. Connect with what is actually happening. <laughs> actually happening. Okay, now this is another one that sounds really simple, but as we know, you know, this can be challenging. So we need to recognize and acknowledge the real, actual experience. What are you actually experiencing? And keep it very simple. Very simple. What's right on top of the pile? You know, what's most predominant? What's on top of the pile? It's simple and hard enough to do that. But that's where you want to be. So you have to work with what you do have versus what you want, don't want, should want, should have, shouldn't have, did have, could have, must have. Okay. So really note the arising of the if only mind. You know, if I only had better material to be mindful of, it would be going well. Okay. All right. Okay, principle number three. Know whatever is arising is not a mistake. Okay, it's not a mistake. Attempting to edit the universe is very labor intensive. So whatever it is in that moment, given the totality of factors that are there, it couldn't be anything different than what it is. It couldn't be anything different. Therefore, it is not a mistake. So this is another way of saying practice with what you've got. Acknowledge it and accept it. And awakening can happen with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral alike. Okay. Four, recognize that practice is a journey through a landscape not yet known. Now, you might have a general idea about where practice goes, but you really have no idea of what you specifically will experience getting there. You have no basis for comparison. Which is not to say that comparing mind won't arise. It will arise. But you have no basis for comparison because you've never been there. So here's a red light thought. Okay, when this thought comes up in your mind, know that you have fallen into opposition. And it's the thought, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening which is 
another version of it's a mistake. Because it's a flashing red light that is telling you that uh, an unfounded view is being contradicted by actual experience. Okay? And when the choice is between an opinion and reality, you know, it's best to stick with reality. So, you know, you're not going to think, double think, or triple think your way to success with this kind of endeavor. And although practice includes uh, cognition and thought, it's really more based upon the willingness to connect in a trusting, open way with what you actually experience and to notice it. So if you can, abandon all assumptions because as uh, a wise one said something uh, once along the lines of uh, whatever you think it will be, things are always other than that. So principle five Have integrity of effort, but do not be insistent upon specific experiences. So the key is being persistent, but not insistent. So you don't know what should happen next. Really, you don't. You know, it's a surprise. It's reality's little surprise for us. Every moment is a surprise. And since you don't actually control what will arise next, unseen expectations are doomed to being thwarted. And this in turn tends to lead to feelings of defeat and frustration. Right? So fixed expectations are another way of saying or stating boundaries that you have for what you find acceptable or desirable. And they come from delusion and they're a form of suffering. So six, experience is always new and it does not repeat itself. So experience is always presenting itself anew. So if you were experiencing anger yesterday and you're experiencing anger today, these are two different arisings. Now they might feel similar or familiar, but they're actually different things. So the question is, can you bring a fresh mind to these arisings? I got a big correction on this one the first time I did a three-month retreat here. And I went in, uh, I was having a lot of anger and I went in to an interview with Sharon Salzberg and I said something like, well, anger's, my anger's back, it's here, it's always there, it's waiting, you know, I can always feel, it's like always there, it's like waiting, it's just underneath. And she said, it's not always there. And by the way, you aren't always angry, sad, fearful, anxious, 
craving, etc. You might want to notice that. You're not actually always in those states. You know, they're all temporary states. They're all temporary states. So you may have the habit of looking for them, and you may have a deep identification with their occurrence in your mind stream, but they are not actually always present. You would have been screaming out of here by now if they were. Okay. Number seven. The more the experience is about you, capital Y-O-U, the more difficult practice will be. Okay, identification is a really common experience. And if it's unseen, it's always suffering. When your ego is attempting to run the practice, it always ends badly. But it's a very common thing to happen. Consider what's been said previously, which is that what is happening is always conditioned and is conditional. Thus, it's not directly under your control, right? If you take ownership of it, if you take up a position for or against what's happening, the experience becomes either inflating or threatening. All right, and these are the conditions for aversion and craving to arise, better known as suffering. So uh, there's a Zen uh, uh, teaching uh, that's along the lines of, the great way is not difficult for he who has no preferences. See if you can see what arises as a naturally occurring phenomenon, more like a weather system that might be interesting and impactful, but it's not personal. So the question is, can you be a weather watcher? Okay, those are all tips related to taking your seat, getting things set up in your mind and your practice some parameters to kind of keep you on board. But then the question comes, so what happens when you fall off the horse? And it does happen, of course. You know, when you lose it. So the first thing to, to realize is that there will be periods, and you may have observed this, where the cross currents to practice are strong and the horse is really bucking, okay? And sometimes you will fall off. Practically speaking, it's unavoidable. Right? There's no way to completely avoid it. You know, sometimes the horse will step on your head and run away into the woods. <laughs> if you never fall off the horse, you wouldn't need to be here, right? You would be out riding pleasantly in the countryside somewhere. So here are some tips about working with these periods. All right. The first one is that restoring mindfulness and balance of mind is always task number one. 
Okay. All of the techniques, all of the advice the teachers give you, all of the instructions in the morning, uh, all of the coaching about how to work with particular hindrances or advice, you know, instead of doing uh, linear walking practice today, go walk in the woods and just be generally aware of what's going on or, you know, you're trying too hard, uh, you know, drop the eight precepts, go take a big long nap. Those are all coachings designed to restore balance and restore mindfulness. They all have one purpose. So, you know, they're trying to, with these uh, changes in instructions or coaching, to help you find the right angle of entry into what you're experiencing. Consider the difference between a nice clean dive below the surface into a pool and a belly flop, right? Okay, so you know, the angle of entry into things is really important and sometimes it's not obvious, right? So the adjustments that a teacher makes to you are to help you to find the right angle of entry, particularly with things that are difficult. So that's the first principle. The second uh, principle is there will be dark and difficult periods. Do not let this deter you or shake your confidence. Difficulty is intrinsic to the process. When you consider what the main task is, You can understand why, because practice entails opening into direct contact with our habituated tendencies. And that's what you see when you sit down and try to do these practices, right? You see what comes up in the mind stream that runs counter to our stated intention to, you know, be with the breath, be with walking, be with metta, you know? where we attempt to, you know, select the channel uh, and we start hearing all the static. So, you know, our habituated tendencies run deep and they also can be very subtle and difficult to see and they can be painful. And there's another part about the fact that these tendencies exist that's important to notice again, which is that we are very often very identified with these cross currents, with these tendencies, these conditioned arisings in the mind. And we claim them as me and mine, which makes it very difficult to maintain a mindful relationship with them, right? You know, when we consider what arises in our mind or arises in our practice as evidence in the court of, am I good enough? We suffer. So practice is like a long distance run and it tests courage, it tests resolve and motivation. And these are all strengths or attributes of mind that are developed as part of practice 
You know, our courage deepens, our strength of mind deepens, we get in touch with what's important to us, or we're not able to continue. You know, these things are intrinsically developed as part of the process, even though the process is not directly aimed right at them. So like all matches with a worthy opponent, in this case, our habituated tendencies, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. All loss is temporary, however, with persistence and integrity of effort. So number three of practicing Ah, war on the ego, war on the self-sense is conducted by the ego. All right. You know, we can do some very interesting things with this uh, not-self or no-self teaching. And we can take it to mean that they're actually... uh, is some, um, what's it called, demolition work that we need to do. But really, we don't need to get rid of our ego or our self-sense in that way, suggested by a wrecking ball or a surgical removal. Okay. As you proceed, you'll come to see that these are just more arising phenomenon and they are already empty of self. It's not like you have it and you have to get rid of it. It's that there's a misunderstanding of what's going on, which will rectify itself if you pay close attention. So you don't need to suppress the ego or the self-sense or to attack these. These are just thoughts, beliefs, and body sensations which arise when conditions are present for them to arise. They are not an enemy. They are also not an identity. Okay, number four. When you are out of balance and disconnected with the main task, notice if there is an agenda present. So often there is an attempt to impose something or prove something and a failure to actually acknowledge, accept, and open to what's actually there. So the question is, what are you trying to make happen and why? And usually there's some sort of craving present that isn't being seen. Craving for uh, preferred or desired or imagined uh, outcome that is, has become laden with some investment of self. Okay, number five. A 
Okay. The story of you, of me, the story is usually dense with identification. Going around and around with it in its own terms is not conducive to liberation. Okay? We all have a story. We have many of them. And by story, I mean an associative train of thought that happens in the present, but which pulls in uh, the past as if it's going on now and brings in the future as if it's going on now and kind of takes over uh, and obscures or obfuscates what can be directly known and directly investigated what is actually uh, tangibly present. So, you know, one thing to know about this is that it's very common. You know, it's the narrative of us as individuals, and we all have a story constructed. You know, a sad story or a happy story or a tragic story or a hopeful story or some versions of them. And part of the role of uh, teachers is to open to you with respect and compassion to engage with you with your enlightened potential and encourage its emergence. So therefore, teachers will generally assist, resist addressing the identified self, except to point it out and to assist you in dropping identification with it. So if if you sometimes wonder why you might not get quite the response in interviews that you expect, it's probably related to that. And it's not because there's not care and concern and metta. It's because they understand continued enmeshment in it does not serve your aspirations or well-being. Okay. Number six. Crazy corners. So once we establish our connection with our mind stream, we may wish we didn't, right? So we can be rather shocked by what arises. Oh my goodness, I'm having these horrible thoughts of hatred or, you know, I'm experiencing this intense lust or, uh, you know, I just, I feel so bad I was, you know, walking in the dining hall and I saw somebody walking really slowly and I just felt all this rage and competition with them and I just wanted to shove them into the table, you know? (laughs) Maybe not this nice group of people. Maybe nobody ever gets those. Okay. But we might be rather shocked by what might arise. You know, especially if we have an identified view of what is acceptable to arise in our mind stream, right? 
then the tendency is to like close and just ricochet off that stuff, right? Oh, ooh, it's so bad, it's so bad. I'm so bad. I'm getting nowhere. I thought I was getting, came here to get better, but I'm getting worse. No, you're seeing the cross currents, okay? You're seeing the cross currents. So what we do with all of these cross currents is we give them a mindfulness wrap, right? We make the mindfulness big enough to encompass the, these also, and this is how we tame them, right? We bring it into the circle of awareness. We don't push it out. We don't orphan any of these. But, you know, it can be kind of shocking. So, you know, you could put it this way. There's a lot of weird stuff in there. <laughs> there just is, you know, and you're not unique. This is in this regard. It's just delusion in the mind stream, and we are all somewhat nuts. I mean, we are. We are all kind of crazy. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in there. There just is. Okay. All right, number seven. The more honestly and specifically you describe your experience to your teachers, the better they will be able to help you. So, you know, you go in and start with a kind of vague ramble about what happened three days ago. You know, don't be surprised if the teacher goes, so what was your sitting like, you know, this morning before you came in here? Right? They're trying to bring you into present tense. They're trying to get you to be specific enough so that they can get an idea about what's happening in the practice to, to guide you. So, you know, being a Dharma teacher is a little bit like being a driver's ed teacher or something, except you're not in the same car. <laughs> right? So, you go, okay, here's the wheel. When you go like this, it goes over there. When you go like this, it goes over there. This is, you step on this and it starts to go. But if it goes too fast, you step on this and then it stops. But don't step on it too hard, you know. Here's the flicker. Put on your, okay. And roll up the window. Bye. <laughs> Tell me how it goes. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's an it's an important thing to be really honest with the teachers about how it's going, you know? Because you could have an unnecessary wreck, you know? If there's something, you know, significant that could be clarified, you might bear yourself a good deal of pain. So, you know, the teachers know all about the crazy corners and the hindrances from their own practice. Believe me, you should hear some of the stories that go on in the dining hall. Okay. 
So we've all been there. We've all had, you know, some spin-outs. We've all had unusual experiences. We've all had difficult experiences. So if embarrassment should arise or the desire to present, you know, a particular version of yourself to the teacher should arise, hopefully you'll just let go of that and just, you know, come as you are, just, just the facts. Okay. So that about, about covers the secrets. But I, I do, uh, in closing, I do have an awakening poem that has an equestrian theme. Right. Since you're riding the wild horse of mind, all of you. I've ridden the dark horse. I've ridden the white, but smack in the saddle, holding on tight. Let go of the reins, the horse carries me. Deep fear arises, just letting it be. The horse and the rider are moving as one. The road we are riding dissolves in the sun. No longer a rider, no longer a horse, no longer a saddle to hit with a butt. Let's sit for a moment. May the merit of our practice be for the awakening and well-being of all 
everywhere in all dimensions. And may our practice be a cause and condition of our own awakening and that of many others. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.